Hello and welcome to The Urbanist, Monocle Radio's programme all about the built environment and how to make our cities better places to live in. I'm your host, Andrew Tuck. Coming up. Milan have the courage facing architecture. They're not common in many cities. No? They thought that Milan need to express themselves through buildings, no? through architecture. This week, we focus on Milan as the Italian city gets ready to play host to the Salone del Mobile trade fair later this month. But it's not just furniture design that is piquing interest. It's hard to think of another European city right now whose urban landscape has been undergoing as much change as Milan's. From new metro infrastructure to a sweep of new buildings and neighbourhoods, big-name architects, planners and developers are all piling into the Lombard capital. For this week's episode, we dispatched Monocle's Milan-based Europe editor-at-large, Ed Stocker, to find out more, including taking a look at the Scala di Porta Romana development. So join us over the next 30 minutes here on The Urbanist. But for now, over to you, Ed. During the six years that I spent in New York for Monocle, I travelled around US cities and see the rapid change they were undergoing. LA's downtown once again becoming a focal point for the city. Miami developing its design and MIMO districts. Or New York repurposing old infrastructure into the much-copied High Line and Hudson Yards. I'd always worked on the assumption that this sort of market-driven development couldn't happen in the old world. Many of its cities are simply too old and dense, right? Could these ancient cities with their historic buildings undergo radical transformations? London, perhaps, or Berlin. Dutch and Danish cities, meanwhile, have excelled at rethinking pedestrian and bike-centric mobility. And Madrid, a surprise perhaps, is developing a huge chunk of land near its airport, the Nuevo Norte, that will feature Western Europe's highest skyscraper. But what of the country I now call home? Italy. Land of stunning cities that feel like open-air museums, often gazing back rather than forward. But Milan is different. This northern Italian city, where the parking is a little more ordered, well, a bit, and there's a whiff of influence from nearby Switzerland. The Lombard capital, a powerhouse of finance, fashion, design and more, generates about 10% of Italy's GDP and has never been too worried about being precious. It has instead looked to express itself through change, and that's something that's happening right now. Everyone talks about 2015 as a big departure point for the city in the wake of the expo. As industrial necessities have changed, depressed or underused parts of this city have been piquing developers' interests. In the last few years alone, there doesn't seem to be a building here that hasn't had its facade redone. And while that government bonus field craze has slowed, the mega-projects haven't. From a new arena by David Chipperfield for the 2026 Winter Olympics to several forthcoming projects from New York studio Dilla, Scafidia and Renfro via Björk Engels in the City Life neighbourhood, the big-name architects have all left a mark here, or soon will. The combination of private capital 
And a city hall that seems to want Milan to be a great European city means there is a utopian feel to how Milan could look in, say, one, two or even three decades' time. New parks are coming, the cycle network is set to be improved, although frankly cycling still is quite scary at times, and whole new neighbourhoods are being planned. There are, of course, plenty of challenges. The concentration of nearby industry is still a problem, and the fact that the city sits in a flat plain near the Alps means that air quality here is among the worst in Europe, and sometimes the world. A problem there is no easy design fix for. Nor is it immune from issues of affordability, as it has got steadily more expensive in the last few years, in part thanks to tax breaks luring foreigners. But it also feels like an incredibly exciting time to be here. The city clearly is having an extended moment. And while the changes won't be happening overnight, that's true, Milan seems like it's in it for the long haul, at the very least. First up, we hear from a man who is proving instrumental in shaping Milan's contemporary built environment. He may be from Sicily and formerly based in Bologna, but Mario Cucinella is one of the most in-demand architects in the Lombard capital right now. From designing Porta Nuova's Unipol Tower to San Raffaele Hospital via Fondazione Rovati, he is helping shape Milan's future, although ever humble, he points out he's not the only one. We spoke to Cucinella from his plant-filled studio in the Porta Vittoria neighbourhood. Milan is the engine of Italy in this moment, no? because everything is happening here in Milan, mainly I'm saying, especially for architecture. I always say Milan have the courage facing architecture, contemporary architecture. They're not common in many cities. No? They thought that Milan need to express themselves through buildings, no? and through architecture. It's a nice place to be. And we are involved in so many projects, from buildings to a master plan. But also Milan is really believing in this change, you know, of sustainability, how we can make better Milan, because it's a very dense area of Italy, especially the Pianura, the plain of Milan around is still one of the polluted areas in Europe, because there are a lot of production, there's a lot of uh, industries. There's a vision of the next 20, 30 years to improving the quality of the air, make more park, make building there will be more sustainable, more attention about the emissions. Of course, I mean, this is still a, a little bit a dream, but we need to dream a little bit. So it's a place where you feel you need to be. And I'm very happy because all the projects are very welcome here. You said that Milan had always sort of looked at present itself through architecture. It strikes me also, as someone who's kind of lived in the States as well, it's almost like an American city that has these parcels of land open for development from, say, Milano, which you're developing in the west of the city, a bit out from the centre, to, you know, all these rail yards that are being developed, like in Porto Romana or Scalafarini. What is the peculiarity of Milan that has that? Is it just 
a combination of historical reasons that there's X industry is it bomb damage that now has this space because most other cities in Italy maybe they don't want to do it but also there doesn't seem to be the room to develop that Milan has well Milan have the space because was in the past one of the largest area of industry you know and most industries they moving away then there's a lot of place very close to the city center which is transforming now like Scalofarini the railways place of many large industry and Sesto, Milano Sesto, San Giovanni, which is more north, which is the biggest industry of uh, steel, now is abandoned. Very industrial still. As in, when you go through on the train, you see all the chimneys pumping out smoke. Yeah, but this is all in transformation, no? because we must see the city in the next 20 years. This area are potentially already well connected with the metro. No? The infrastructure is there. Let's talk about architecture and place. Now, obviously, you have an international profile, but we're focusing for this on Milan. We mentioned earlier how the city has represented itself to a certain extent through architecture. Are you aware when you're designing a building, and we've said before how diverse they are, but are you aware of sort of trying to be aware of place? And I don't mean environment i mean the city we're in and therefore do you leave a certain lombardian or milanese aesthetic on a building or not really difficult to say what is the milanese things but it's true is an history of the milanese modernist in milan and i think after the war so i said 1950 1960 milan really exporting the modernist you know something sobre no so simple but very well designed I'm thinking about Joe Ponti very simple but there are some uh, expression of modernity and I think Milan had this kind of idea to express their time our time I'm not sure is a Milanese style but it's the culture of a Milanese way you design things be careful by the details be careful about the way using material. I think this is the heritage, the legacy from many architects. I say Franco Albini for me is my big maestro, and Giancarlo De Carlo, Carlo Scarpa. All this was really representing the Italian culture to not only by the shape or the aesthetic, but this method to go inside of every small details. This is our culture. No? Also, is because we are working with good contractors or with manufacturing. They do specific work. And still today, you can work with some manufacturer. They can make you piece expressive for you, for your design, not standard. No? And I think this is the most exciting part of the work. And this is the culture of Milan. Last question. Legacy. Do you ever think about that? Because you've done a lot in this city. Do you think about what these buildings will leave after you're gone and what they'll mean for the city? And does it affect how you design? I think it's too early to talk about the legacy, but one of the legacy is the school for me, is to leave ambassador of sustainability around the world. And the other thing is participating to the transformation of the city. I'm not the only one, and I think... Maybe Milan in the next 20 years will be recognized because different architects, they try to make an interpretation of contemporary architecture in the city, which is a very long history of roots of architecture. So I think my legacy is about to be part of the history of Milan. Our thanks to Mario Cucinella there. Now, one of the key decisions 
in Milan's recent urban history has been the decision by the railway operator, the city and the region to redevelop the metropolis's rail yards as industrial needs have shifted. One of the biggest projects is in the southeastern neighbourhood of Porto Romana, deemed peripheral until Fondazione Prada opened there. Here, a huge new neighbourhood is taking shape and will include the Olympic Village when Milan co-hosts the Winter Games with Cortina in 2026. Big-name architects are involved and local developer Coima. We spoke to some of the key players. We are in the Prada Foundation on the terrace of the restaurant and we are overlooking the construction site of the Olympic Village. Luca Mangia is the director of fund and asset management at Milan developer Coima. We are overseeing the construction site that will be composed by six buildings for around 30,000 square meters plus basement. We can see all the construction activities with the scope to develop the Olympic Village within the mid part of 2025. We're gazing down from Art Centre, the Prada Foundation's vantage point, at the work site below. Combed earth, porter cabins, and busy workers laying foundations. One of the largest construction sites in Europe, Scala di Porta Romana, as it's known locally will transform into a vast new neighbourhood. Manja points to the external walls of what used to be a warehouse, what will become part of the Olympic Village for the 2026 Games. This building before was a building where the railway authorities repaired the trains and the idea is to maintain this historical building as a memory of the past of this area that was a railway yard and during the Olympic Village we lost the cafeteria, the canteen for the athletes and after when the legacy will be converted with the same function for co-working spaces we will define in the next month. This is less than a quarter of all the master plan. We have the train lane that will be repositioned by the railway authorities, being partially recovered in order to create a connection with the park above the new train lane. And the rest of the project, we will develop residential, office, commercial space. In addition to this, more than 50% will be dedicated to public space. Manja is sketching out the plans for Porto Romana, which will see the Olympic Village turned into student housing post-games. That work is being overseen by storied US architecture firm Skidmore, Owings & Merrill, or SOM, one of the pioneers of the international style. There are also plans for a highline-like raised walkway above train tracks that once divided two parts of the city. Add to the mix commercial space, a public park, and a sizable amount of affordable housing spread throughout the site. New York's Dilla Scafidio and Renfro, one of the studios behind the High Line, has been helping with the master plan. We're just walking down the street past Fondazione Prada and heading towards this epic, massive worksite, the Scala Porto Romana, which will house, of course, the Olympic Village and a whole host of other buildings. I think as an architect at SOM, the legacy is, you know, it's both a blessing and a curse in the sense that you have this tradition going into our 
ninth decade of really incredible designs, but you're also not, you're not interested necessarily in faithfully reproducing the international style in, in 2023. And I think that, you know, the SOM approach is, you know, the marriage of creative design thinking through architecture married with a kind of empirical functionalist set of ideals through engineering. Colin Coop is a design partner at Skidmore Owings and Merrill. Based in New York, he's a regular in Milan these days as part of the team working on the Olympic Village. Coop says that although the six buildings his firm is overseeing will house athletes during the games, the design approach very much kept their future usage front and centre of the process. After the Olympics, the attitude we took was this should be the sort of defy your expectations of what student housing is. So student housing in general is usually a fairly secure facility where the students are, you know, safe first and foremost, but largely are trying to build community in and amongst themselves, but are largely kind of separate from the neighborhood around them. So our design really built off of the principle that, that we wanted to build the most inclusive piece of new development in Porto Romana. And what that meant for us was pragmatically, we wanted to sort of crack the site open and allow pedestrians to move through it. We wanted to preserve the historic structures and find an, uh, a useful uh, set of new uses for them. We wanted to build an enticing and diverse array of retail at the ground floor. We wanted to take things that the students would find important to them, like athletic facilities nearby, lounge space, sort of outdoor and balcony space and sort of laminate all of that on the exterior of the project. So it sort of is an inside out vision for how an Olympic village could transition elegantly to being kind of a community anchor. Across town near the Isola neighborhood, Manfredi Catella, president of Coima, is sitting at a table dressed all in black and talking about the opportunities that large scale developments like Porta Romana offer. While these sorts of huge redevelopments have long been associated with the US, Milan is also showing Europe how it can be done. Large-scale development, particularly within the cities, are an amazing opportunity always, but particularly I would say today. Why today? Because um, I'm a profound believer of... uh, an historical time uh, that we're living that requires uh, a change in the mindset, a change in the cultural paradigm. And when you design uh, a city and you develop a city, ultimately that is uh, the result of, uh, of the culture that you want to express. So taking into the game uh, developing uh, railway yards, which are normally inside the cities uh, and reconnect neighbors, so they are a big catalyst uh, if you do it right. Uh, Obviously, it's a big responsibility. So Porta Romana, it's one of uh, the last uh, large sites in the inner part of the city that can not only play the normal role uh, of uh, recombining, reconnecting uh, the urban frame uh, surrounding the railway yard, which is more of a specific uh, urbanism objective, but he has also the the aspiration to express a new model of development. And this is what we're really focusing on, taking the good things that we've done in other projects such as Porta Nuova 
but also moving to the next level of city design. Manfredi mentions Porta Nuova, a Coima neighborhood where we're talking from and the home of its HQ. Opened around a decade ago, it helped convince investors and developers that Milan was a reliable market. Still expanding today, it contains shops, offices, homes, a park and Stefano Boeri's greenery-filled Bosco Verticale Towers, which we can see out of our window. Coima is the master of placemaking, a process that Catella suggests is constantly changing for the company. Porto Romana, with its student and affordable housing in the mix, may well be the most ambitious project to date. The Porto Romana vision, which you know has been developed by the team that's led by Diller Scafidio, I think it's you know an incredible opportunity to heal what is a pretty profound scar in the city. SOM's Colin Coop again. And I think actually if you zoom even further out, you know, there are four or five of these massive rail yards, which are each one is now undergoing their own master plan to redevelop them that ring the periphery of the city. And I think it's like one of the most compelling urban design projects that I think are, is going on in the world today is the way that the rail administration has sort of envisioned this way to better connect the periphery of the city to the center. The Milan of the future looks set to be dominated by a set of former rail yards that have gone on to new lives. Alongside other master plan new neighbourhoods such as Santa Giulia, Se Milano and Milano Sesto, when the likes of Porto Romana and also Scalofarini are finished, Milan, that mix of old and new and constantly looking forward, may have changed beyond all recognition. Finally, it's time to hop on my bike, quite literally, and head to the neighbourhood of Ticinese to meet Federico Paralotto. Originally from Verona, but a resident of Milan for three decades, he's an urbanist and mobility expert and the CEO of Meek Hub in Milan, advising developers, public bodies and mobility providers on transport policy, including the new ex Marcello mega project being led by Norwegian firm Snoetta. The city changed dramatically in the last 30 years since I arrived. I mean, as an example, I can tell you that, for instance, uh, you know, the weekend was a massive topic. You know, Milanese were obsessed with the weekend and everybody wanted to leave the city for their own places uh, or like going to the seaside or to the mountain. The truth is that, you know, now the city is much more sort of sweet to you and is uh, more able to accept you because so many things have been happening. Parks have been developed and are now better kept. New developments have happened, and new parks have arrived, and new areas have turned to be incredibly active in terms of socializing and opportunity to stay with friends. You know, we developed a great gay area in uh, Porta Venezia, and uh, on the Navigli, there is incredible buzz of nightlife there too. What I'm trying to say is that the city has changed dramatically from an industrial place, which would kind of expel people in the weekend, to a place where people would want to stay. At least a certain amount of people, a certain class of people of young generations that have come here to enjoy a completely different lifestyle, a kind of lifestyle that only Milan can actually offer, I think, in Italy. 
Milan has changed in a really impressive way in the last 20 years. You know, if you see the developments, things that have happened, new buildings, new public spaces, as I was saying just now, you wouldn't recognize it if you had left the city 20 years ago and you were to come back now. You know, to the point of me, almost unbelievable. And I think that if there are no massive crises, you know, like a country kind of uh, financial uh, condition that will kill any entrepreneurship uh, in the next few years, again, I think, you know, the city of the future, Milan in 10 years, will be radically different again from the city we're experiencing now. The Milan center is expanding and you have the perception that the city of Milan boundaries are progressively expanding towards the outside, like a circle growing, you know, and growing further. Let's talk about mobility and transport because those are the areas of your expertise and those are where you help new developments think about these questions. What are the advantages of Milan? It strikes me as being pretty small and actually pretty well connected if you think about the train, the metro and the trams. It's never too hard to get around. And even those places that are perhaps peripheral or there are questions over whether it can incorporate into the city are actually easy to get to. Milana, in terms of public transport and size, it's very well located, in meaning that, uh, you know, you can walk a short distance or you can actually take uh, public transport, which is kind of efficient. Milan has taken, like, uh, in the last 20 years, about 100,000 people. But if you look at the car ownership rates, which are pretty high for Europe standards, it's actually dropping, meaning that the new people that are coming don't own a car. And this is because I always call it like the line of the privilege. If you enter the line of the privilege that Milan gives you, you enter a place where you can live without a car, where you can rely about on other mode of transport. You don't have the stress of using the car or entering that kind of uh, situation that makes you so uncomfortable. When you drive, you become aggressive and you have, a, I think, a very bad experience. New generation don't want to have that. And those new generations are coming here and they stay in this area of privilege because they can live without a car and I think that's one of the things that you pay when you come to Milan the ability to live a different lifestyle that's one of the components in my opinion is definitely not owning a car Let's talk about cycling. The mayor has touted big plans about extending the amount of cycle lanes in the city. We have seen some improvements, but there are big plans to extend them by hundreds of kilometres and also go out to regions beyond the city limits. As someone who cycled to this interview and found it quite a frightening experience, I personally don't think Milan is a cyclable city yet. In fact, I think it's quite a long way from being there. What is your thought? You are uh, totally right. Uh, I think that uh, it's far from being a cycle city. I think this is one of the most relevant problems. As Milanese, we like to think that uh, we are part of Europe and we don't look at the rest of the country. We look at other cities in Europe. And uh, I think to be competitive and attract people like you, you need to have that kind of infrastructure, that kind of lifestyle. As I was saying earlier on, you can live without a car, but you cannot yet rely fully on your bike. Or you can, but your cycling is definitely not a safe environment. I think this is one of the most relevant problems of Milan now. It's not just a matter of sustainability, which is an immense issue and should be an incredible element of the thinking. To me, it's also a competitive issue. If you want to attract a certain amount of population that allows you to be competitive with the rest of the Europe, you have to change the lifestyle of the city. And the ability to move on soft mobility cycling is so relevant. I think this is the most important task in mobility 
in the next decade that the city should face. Is Milan too reliant on private developers to sort of spearhead its changes? Milan has been relying on private investors, but I can say something that really surprised me over these 30 years. The role and the nature, I would say, the value set even of the real estate has been changing. There is a famous Italian movie called Mani sulla città, Hands on the City, which basically describes, I think it was the mid 60 or early 60, the role of a combination of a political and a private sort of agreement in order to put your hands on the city and make as much money, build as much as possible, and basically disregarding the urban quality. And I can say that the role of private investors in Milan has been changing from that kind of money sulla città attitude to the real willingness to create great public spaces, and to the point that often the most forward-thinking and incredible switch of roles is actually the private developer that asks for less cars, that asks for better public space, that asks for bikes, even against the code of the city and sometimes even against the approval process of the city because there is a clear understanding that a great public space deliver real estate value competitiveness on the market. I'm always surprised to sit on the table and have these developers thinking and asking things that are not even coming from the city. Federico Parolotto there. As Paralotto points out, Milan isn't perfect. And although its future metamorphosis will depend on political and economic wins, it clearly is striving to set a global benchmark. With recent or forthcoming buildings from the likes of David Chipperfield, Zaha Hadid, Björk Engels, Japan's Sana Studio, Stefano Boeri, Dilla, Scofidio and Renfro, and many more, these works exude a confidence in the future. What other Italian or even European city can claim that right now? For Monocle in Milan, I'm Ed Stocker. That's all for this week's episode of The Urbanist. For more from the world of urbanism, sign up to the podcast to get new episodes every week. And why not subscribe to Monocle Magazine too? And you can do that at monocle.com. Today's show was produced by Carlotta Rebello, David Stevens and Ed Stocker. David and Ed also edited the show. And to play you out this week, well, here's Mahmood with Milano Good Vibes. Thank you for listening, city lovers. Sentirsi uno schifo non ha senso, se a pagare sono sempre.